Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. God tells us to love one another. It's right there in John chapter 13. Okay, done. But what about those who don't love us? How do we overcome our seemingly inborn desire to say, well, forget you, and move on? Dr. Jennings joins us today via Skype to help us learn how to love those who don't love us. Dr. Jennings, the time is yours. So how do we love people who don't love us? I think the first thing has to start with our own hearts, has to start with a relationship with the God of love. Mm. It is not natural to the human heart to love those who don't love us. The natural response is to dislike them, to see them as an enemy, and to want to destroy them or at least get away from them. And this is what you see in the world today. And this is why there's breakdown in culture and tribe and race and nation, because we will identify more easily with people who are similar to us Mm -hmm. and people who are more dissimilar to us. It's harder for us to bring them into the circle of self. And what interferes with our ability to love others is fear. And as we become more fearful, fear is very instinctual. What fear does on a very instinctual level deep in our brain is it narrows our awareness and we become hyper-focused and we become superficial in our assessments. So you're out on a nature trail in Tennessee or maybe up where you live in, in the Virginia, West Virginia area. You're up on a nature trail and you come around a corner as a bear in the trail. You will become hyper Yes. You will. You will lose awareness of the stone in your shoe. That's true. A tree branch falling nearby, you don't notice at all. Mm. You become hyper-focused on the bear. Let's say we're not on a trail, we're in a mall, and you hear gunfire in the mall. Mm. You become very hyper-focused. The packages you just set down to tie your shoe, you forget about. You grab your child's hand and you head away from where you heard the gunfire. Mm-hmm. You become hyper-focused. And, and then you become superficial in your assessment. And, and what fear does, hyper-focused, superficial, and we go into what I call friend or foe assessment, safe or danger assessment. And so as you're hearing the gunfire moving through the mall, you see a police officer. You don't know that person. But the uniform superficial assessment, friend, friend, safe, move toward. But you don't really know that the gunfire is a distraction. The police officer is part of the same criminal organization and is there to rob several stores once the uh, people flee. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. You just see the uniform superficial assessment, friend. This is how we do things in society. The more fearful we get, the more we make superficial assessments and we divide and fragment and we identify with people who are like us and we see threats superficially from people who are not like us. And so that undermines our ability to love. So how do we love people? We have to first start by getting rid of the fear in our hearts. And the only way to get rid of the fear in our hearts is we have to come to the God of love and perfect love casts out fear. We have to die to self-centeredness and a motive that says, I have to get mine for me and I have to protect me and mine, and I have to do that at all costs. That's survival of the fittest instinct, or the Bible calls the carnal nature. And so the only way to overcome that is to come back to God first and recognize that we are completely 
corrupted with fear that drives us to seek self and ask for the filling of his spirit, which will take away our fear and give us love. And then we have to make a daily commitment to go back to God and say, Lord, give me love for those who would hurt me today. Give me love for my enemies. It's not natural. I don't want to love my enemies. In fact, I I want you to kill my enemies. That's what my natural heart wants. But Lord David prayed that prayer, but then he also went on to pray, but search me, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me, creating me a clean heart. So I recognize that desires in my heart, Lord, but I also recognize it's not a healthy desire. It just drains me to stay angry. It drains me to stay bitter. It exhausts me to stay hateful. Lord, remove all that stuff. Give me peace. Give me love in my heart and help me love those. So once we have our hearts changed, then you might want to have a conversation about, well, what does the actions of love look like? How do we actually functionally love once we no longer hate those who would hate us? Do you want to have that conversation? I do, and I'm I'm trying to, to, to frame this question. For us to do that, for, for you say, you know, ask God to bring love in your heart, how will we know it's working? How will we know it's it's actually happening. What will be different about us when we step out the door when Christ has actually made inroads into our heart? Number one, we will be less angry. Hmm. We will be less hurt, less bitter, less resentful, less hostile. We will be more patient. We will be more kind. We will be more willing to consider the other person's perspective. In other words, give a, what we might call a fair hearing, understand where they're coming. doesn't mean we agree. We may still think they're completely wrong, but we don't jump. In other words, we stop being so Mm hyper-focused, stop immediately judging others based on superficials. Well, they're a Republican. They must be horrible. They're a Democrat. They must be horrible. Mm -hmm. Okay. We, we, We don't do those type of superficial things. Because we don't even know the person. And then, as we do that, we come back from the godly perspective, and we recognize that, you know what? Every human being on earth is a child of God. And if you are a parent, you step back and go, well, I have three children. I have four children. I have five children. What if one of my children had a problem? Maybe they had a problem with shoplifting, and they got arrested, or maybe they have an alcohol or drug problem, or maybe they have an anger management problem, and, and they've actually been arrested for hitting their own spouse. Uh, maybe one of my children has that problem. Would I not love my child anymore? Would I hate that child? Would I want to see that child executed? Or would I recognize deeply that my child has a problem, and I would want to see my child redeemed. I would want my child to come to love their spouse and no no longer hurt their spouse anymore. I'd want them to be free of their addiction. I'd want them to be delivered from their anger problem. In other words, while you may recognize the problem that they have, and you may have to set boundaries because they have an addiction and and uh, they've been stealing from you to fund their addiction, you may have to set boundaries to not allow them access to your resources because they're going to steal from you. Your attitude towards them isn't one of hate. It is one of, I, I, I love them and want to see them get into recovery. Mm. I want to see them give their heart to the Lord. I want to see them in a 12-step program. I want to see them rehabilitated. Can we look at people in the world that way? They may not be rehabilitated. They may still be destroying their own selves, but can we see them through the lens of, but I will pray for their deliverance. And if I have a relationship, if I have an avenue, if I have a platform, if there's somebody I have a connection with, I will use my influence to suggest or create opportunities for them to make choices to bring reform to their life. 
You know, Dr. Jennings, the first time I heard you talk on this subject, I decided to try something, and it has worked, and it might work for one of our listeners here. Whenever I have that knee-jerk response to someone, oh, that person, he cut me off, that, and then I add, child of God. Oh, that person was very rude to me, that child of God. Oh, that person said bad things about me, that child of God. And when I add that child of God to my condemnation of them, suddenly something in me changes and I begin to feel the very things you were just talking about, Dr. Jennings. That's beautiful, Charles. I think that's a wonderful real-time intervention that people can make to help keep them from going down the hyper-focus trail, me or them, friend or foe. Wait a second. You know, they might have just cut me off. They might have been rude, but I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know their struggles. I don't know their heart. They may go home tonight and they may fall down on their knees before the Lord and say, Lord, I cut somebody off and I was impatient and I really want to be free from my impatience, Lord. I, I don't know their heart. I know I don't want my heart infected with hate and bitterness and resentment and hostility because if I allow that to happen, then pretty soon I'll be cutting people off or being rude to people. When you talked about the uh, superficial assessment, do we do that sometimes with like pastors and teachers? Are we, are we guilty of that? I think we all have that vulnerability. And again, there's a difference between superficially assessing someone in character, in motive, and assessing an idea. Uh, This pastor just put out an idea about God. Mm -hmm. I can assess that idea without assessing the motive of the pastor. Interesting. I I can say that idea I disagree with, and I've had pastors that I disagree with on lots of ideas, but I love the pastor. I love the the person, but I don't agree with all of his ideas. And some people have a hard time differentiating ideas, beliefs, or perspectives that someone else holds from the person themselves. Hmm. Well, Dr. Jennings, we have uh, about four minutes left here in the program, and I want to start being uh, practical here. What are some of some actual physical things we can do or say to ourselves starting as soon as the program's over as we step out into the wild and try to, to make our way through this world? So when we love other people, the principle of love is, is seeking to use our resources, our energies, our wisdom to benefit others and benefit them in a godly way, to benefit them in God's kingdom way, mm-hmm. not benefit them in the way they think they might want to be benefited. But we're actually using our resources to be a blessing to the world around us and people that we can connect to. That might be simply that we we are kind to others. We mm-hmm. speak kind words wherever we go. We smile. We we try to be a voice of cheer in a world where there's so much discouragement going on. But It requires that we assess the circumstance and the people we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. For instance, there were times Jesus spoke to people, like the woman at the well, but there were other times he remained silent, like during his trial. Did he not love the people who were putting him on trial? Well, of course he did. Why didn't he speak truth to them? He had an opportunity to give his testimony. He didn't give his own personal testimony. Why didn't he do it? Because his judgment was that anything he said by them would only be twisted and used against him, and there's nothing he could say. In other words, these people were not interested in the truth. Their minds were shut down. They, they were not open. And so the most loving thing he could do was remain silent and let them do what they were going to do. So when we understand how love operates, love does not force its way. Love does not seek to make others conform to what we believe is the most righteous way to live. 
And that's a sad failing for many people. It doesn't matter of political persuasion. We just see in the world today so many people wanting to make everybody else live the way they think that everybody else should live. That's not how love works. Love presents truth in love persuasively with evidence and leaves others free. Here's a sign you can look for if you want evidences of where God is not moving. God is the God of truth. Truth loses nothing by investigation. Mm -hmm. Truth is never afraid to have questions asked and have evidences brought forward because those who love truth as new evidence, like medical scientists, as new medical research comes forward, they love to embrace the new facts and evidences and that prove or demonstrate this way is better than that way or this brings more healing and that harms. Uh, doctors are not afraid to have those evidences come forward. That's a healthy respect for truth. Truth is advancing. But those who want to hold a position that is not based on truth, they then will need to silence voices that disagree, silence ideas that might bring their ideas into question. So you'll see censorship. That's why in every communist country of the world, you never have a free press. You always have censorship because a free press, if you allow one to operate, communism always falls because communism is a system of coercion without liberty. And it's based on deceit and distortion. And so you can look and see the principles of God and, and principles of love. We don't have to silence voices. If I love others, I give them the freedom to speak. I just present the truth and love and leave them free. It's okay. Hmm. Wow. Dr. Tim Jennings today with us. CommonReason.com is our website. I saw a picture the other day, Dr. Jennings. I think it was on Facebook or your website or something, where you had boxes and boxes and boxes ready to go out, shipping out to people. And I thought, my, there goes truth. There goes that wonderful message that Dr. Jennings shares. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for sharing today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.